Hey folks, Brian here. Before we get started, I just want to ask those who are listening who have not done so to please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. And to those who have already done so, thank you very much, and please tell a friend. Now then, on with the show. episode number 22 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, let's see, since I posted episode 21 on the... When did I post that? That got posted on the 15th, which was last Sunday. No, it was last week, as a matter of fact, last Saturday. Uh, let's see, I did go to um, the Arcade in Brighton today after work. I was going to go to a new place up in Auburn Hills, but I didn't know too much about it, and after I had done a little digging and seen some reviews on uh, on a Google on, on the Google site, I wasn't really keen on going up there. I just didn't really have it today. I could have gone to Ready Player One in uh, Detroit, but I really didn't feel like driving out that way either. So I just said, you know what, the arcade in Brighton is like 15 minutes away from where I work. It's a quick shot down I-96, so let's just do that instead. So that's what I did. Um, I did record an on-the-road segment for that, and you'll hear it, of course, in a future episode. It was a weird day. I will, I will go so far as to say that. Um, let's see, I checked my emails, uh, still nothing. I, which reminds me, I need to get off my butt and talk to Greg Hansen about doing an interview with him. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you want to get a hold of the podcast and you have some thoughts, ideas, stories of your own, things like that, you can get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Also, there is a phone number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, I have uh, a social media uh, presence, and let's see, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. I just posted a couple of pictures to the Instagram today, as a matter of fact. On Facebook, all you have to do is search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It will take you straight to my page. Also, there is a Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast uh, discussion group, so you can meet people who... Uh, are fans of the show, and you guys can commiserate, and I do check that every so often. Uh, also, I'm on Twitter at arcadeaddict underscore B. On Instagram, it is at arcadeaddictbrian. And on Tumblr, it is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. So there are multiple ways of getting hold of the show. And if you are so inclined, please do so. I would appreciate the uh, participation. It gets a little lonely up here. You know, just talking and babbling about stuff by myself. Uh, as far as gaming goes, uh, I've just been playing Battletech. They just put up the new and final update for that game. And also, I've been playing uh, Nova Drift, which is a wonderful game. Uh, I picked it up on Steam. I saw um, a friend of mine who does uh, who streams on Twitch. You can find him at Buana. That's B-W-A-N-A. He plays uh, a bunch of different games, um, and the guy is funny. I've I've been a fan of his for quite some time. Um, 
But he played Nova Drift once while he was streaming one night, and I was like, this is a really cool game. I think I want to pick it up. So I waited until, of course, there was a, a Steam sale, and I picked it up and downloaded it, started playing it, and I'm like, this game has so many different influences, it's ridiculous. Let's run down the ones I can think of. Uh, let's see, chiefly Asteroids. Um, Asteroids Deluxe, as a matter of fact, there are a couple aspects of that game that made it into Nova Drift. Um, let's see, what else? Star Castle. Um, there, you know, there, there are bullet hell aspects to the game as you keep going further and further into the game and keep, uh, uh, achieving levels and so forth. And it's a really good game. It's really well done. Um, this gaming studio should be uh, a major one because this was done so well. You know, I was just like, wow. You know, I was getting all of the nostalgic tingles, if you will, because there were so many different uh, free flight games uh, aspects of it that were put into this game and done so with love and done with their own twist that it's one of my favorite games uh, to play. When I want to play something with a little action in it, yeah, I usually go to Nova Drift, even though that game can be a little bit frustrating sometimes, because it can get really hard really fast. Um, let's see, what else? Like I said, I had gone to uh, the Arcade in Brighton uh, today, and I did record a on-the-road segment. You'll hear that in a future show, of course. Uh, aside from that, not too much else going on. Um... Everyone's getting hyped up for the Final Fantasy VII Remake. I wish I could play that game, but unfortunately, I don't have the computer that can handle it. I've seen the, the seen all of the trailers and all of the previews, and there's no way my 10-year-old PC could even begin to handle it. No way. It can barely play Battletech, you know, without overheating. So, yeah. Anyway, so enough about that. Um... Let's just get right into it. I've got quite a bit to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Top 10s. Top 10s, 1989. Okay, giving you a little bit of background. Let's see, 1989, I am now 20 years old, um, and the downfall continues. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Um, uh, Trumbull Mall Arcade had closed this year. Um, I had taken a trip to Vancouver in the spring, and after I got back, I fell into a major bout of depression, uh, which led me quite stupidly to quit my job. Um, and to kind of cope and kind of process the things that happened, um, the only positive thing that happened in Vancouver was they had wonderful arcades downtown. I mean, fantastic arcades. I loved them. Um, and, of course, the city is beautiful. Um, I was staying out in the suburbs, and I would take the SkyTrain into town every day, and just the scenery was fantastic. I had a camera with me to take pictures, and the third night that I was... Uh, third night I was in Vancouver, I broke it. <laughs> and it wasn't a digital camera, folks. Those wouldn't be invented for another close to, what, seven, eight years? Um, it was a regular um, camera that you would buy in the drugstores back then that would have, you know, the roll of film and this and that and the other thing. And yeah, I broke it. The, the film got exposed and that was that. Um... So, when I got back, yeah, I fell into a major depression. Um, that lasted for quite some time, and it took me quite a while to snap out of it. Um, and in order to, as a coping mechanism, I started hanging out at the mall again, but things have changed. I mean, at this point, I'm older, you know, and a lot of things in the mall had changed, really. Um, the arcade wasn't open on some days, and... I was wondering what was going on until one day I looked in the through the glass window and I could tell that all of the machines were gone. And not only that, the carpet that was on the floor was also ripped up. It was bare concrete underneath. 
and that was a bad day. <laughs> you know, I'm always a little sad when an arcade closes down, but I was really sad that day. I had been hanging out in that arcade since 1979, you know, for 10 years, you know, through my childhood, through my teen years, you know, that arcade has been home base, as I've said since episode one, and now it was gone, and I was really, really kind of bummed out about that. Um, I'd heard through the grapevine that the uh, company that owned the mall was claiming that too many uh, kids were skipping school and hanging out at the mall and shoplifting and all that kind of stuff, so they ended up closing on the arcade. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, you know, a reactionary move and a knee-jerk reaction, you know, I can say, you know, at least from my perspective, but yeah, you know, so that happened. Um, as it turned out, uh, later the next year, um, I saw the real motivation for shutting down that area of the mall. Um, the bookstore was closed, the barbershop, the music store, and the Italian restaurant and the food court, they all were shut down because they took that, uh, they took that section of the mall and they decided to expand upon it. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember the store they put there and I can't for the life of me. I know what, I could look it up and find out, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling lazy tonight, so yeah. Um, so yeah, they ended up uh, building on a major addition to the mall, and I got to see that sort of uh, take, you know, to see that construction take place because in September of 1990, I got a job at uh, one of the uh, fast food restaurants in the mall, and I was there for oh goodness, from what September 1990 until what, oh what, I want to say January 93. So, yeah, I'd seen that and seen the build-ups and everything. They actually put a McDonald's in the mall, but it didn't last long. I don't know why. You know, anywhere you can put a McDonald's, you know, you're basically printing money once you, you know, get everything dialed in right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I understand that, that, you know, they were doing this to, you know, bring more people in and to drum up more business. Uh, the mall had been in existence for over 20 years at that point, but it was still a, a sad to see a part of my childhood and teen years come to an end. It really was. Um, okay, let's get into the games. Uh, like I said, these are in no particular order. Um, I played all, almost all of these games, if not most of them. Um, and I think these were the uh, best games of 1989, so let's get right to it. Okay. Arch Rivals, <laughs> the progenitor to NBA Jam and NBA Showtime. Um, <laughs> when Spanky's got this game and the News Corner got this game, it was it was on and cracking because people loved it. You know, it combined basketball, real basketball elements, two on two full court, but also there was a grimy, violent aspect to the game. You could. Uh, punch your opponents to try to get the ball or to try to keep them from either attempting a shot or making a shot. And it was uh, a lot of fun. I loved playing it. You know, um, it was one of the, just one of those games that, yeah, it, who, if ever, if I knew what was to come when NBA Jam came out and what was that, 1992, I think, um, if I knew what was coming, yeah, I would be, I would, it would just make, it would be logical to me. Um, yeah, it's basically a, a timed game, um, and you are basically playing against either a computer-controlled duo or a, uh, a human opponent, and you're basically beating the crap out of each other while you're trying to score baskets and win the game. Um, like I said, simple there were elements to it there, you know, because there would be stuff thrown on the floor. There would be like uh, holes in the floor, if I'm not mistaken, that your player could fall into. And then it would be a two on one situation for like several seconds, things like that. It would, you know, our travels is just fun. It's a, it's a classic, you know, you could see where um, Midway got the ideas for NBA jam because yeah, it was, 
you you could see the you could see the seeds being planted with this game. So yeah, Arch Rivals, uh, Darius Two, um, the sequel to Darius, and I played this maybe once or twice. But like I said with Darius, when I talked about the best games in 1987, I think, um, it, it's pretty. You know, it's pretty. Um, there's a um, there's like an undersea element to the game. That's something I neglected to say about Darius because all of the boss, uh, a, a lot of the boss uh, ships were um, like fish-based. They were based off fish, sharks, whales, things like that. And, you know, it was fun to play. I mean, I played it only a few times, but it was, you know, it was really nice. I, you know, I liked it a lot. It was, and not only that, it was pretty to watch. Like I said with Darius, it was just more so. Um, I did see someone on uh, YouTube uh, basically complete the game, uh, no loss of no loss of life or anything like that, which is a pretty impressive uh, accomplishment because the game can get really hard towards the middle and end stages. Um, the the different stages. You know, just like how Outrun did it, it you had it at if you beat the boss of a of a level, you had a choice where you could fly up or fly down and would take you to another area and it would go from, you know, A to A to Z, but you could go different ways. I mean, it that way you had a little bit of replayability in the game. But yeah, it was really fun to watch and play. Darius two. Final fight. The I won't, I won't say it's the granddaddy because Kung Fu Master was the granddaddy, so this was the next generation of the beat-em-up and probably one of the most successful. Um, this was made by Capcom, and you had a choice of three different characters, uh, Mike Hagar, Guy, and um, Billy. And each one of them had their own kind of attacks um mike hagar was a professional wrestler so his attacks were slow but really powerful guy was really really fast and his attacks were not they didn't do too much damage but he, and he had long attack sequences or combos as you will and oh i'm sorry it's it's not it was his the the, the other guy's name was cody Jeez, where's my head tonight um yeah, the middle guy's name was Cody, and he was in the middle. He had, you know, not he was not quite as strong as Mike, but he wasn't quite as fast as Guy, but he did well, and he also was a knife fighter. So as you're going through the game, there are uh, enemies that throw knives at you, and you could, um, retreat, you know, pick them up, and you, you know, if you, especially if you like destroyed things in the environment and knives would come out or swords or uh, pipes and things like that. And, you know, with Cody, you could pick up the knives and instead of throwing them at enemies like Guy or Mike Hager would, he would actually stab uh, your opponents. So, you know, you know, it, it was an interesting element. It was great because you had playability and the game got really hard really fast like most Capcom games do. You know, it was almost, it was really cheesy in the middle to end parts, let's say, because unless you were really, really good with your positioning, um, you would get, you know, hit by cheap shots all of the time. And it was, um, how should I say this? You know, it, and especially with the boss, uh, the bosses at the ends of levels, you know, they were really tough to beat. Um, they had the Andore family, and those guys, you know, basically they're like, you know, they're stylized versions of Andre the Giant, and each one of them had different, uh, they have different levels of strength and different levels of health and so forth and so on. And, you know, you could, you know, get, you, it, depending on how good you were, you could get close to the end on one quarter, maybe all the way to the end on one quarter. I never could do it, but um, it was a quarter eater for sure. So yeah, final fight. Golden Axe. This one, let's see, when's the first time I played it? it had to be at the news corner. Um, this was another beat-em-up uh, with a, f a lot of fantasy elements to it and a little bit of sci-fi mixed in. Um, you could take, 
of the barbarian warrior, a Amazon fighter, or a dwarf, and go up against Golden Axe, who is this tyrannical giant fighter. <laughs> no other way for me to describe it, really. And try to defeat him. Uh, you would have to, of course, go through various stages to get to him and defeat all of his minions and his uh, mid-bosses in order to do so. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun, although the game uh, sometimes just frustrated me because you had to be really, really precise with your movement and your attacks and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, Golden Axe. Gradius 3. I never played this in the arcade, believe it or not. I never saw a Gradius machine, ever. Uh, the first time I played Gradius 3 was for the Super Nintendo in, what, 91? Um, but the premise is the same, because I was able to find it in emulation, and the game is pretty much the same, with a couple of uh, differences. Um, you basically are going from going through levels, and you're trying to, of course, beat the big boss at the end. Um, you have to power your ship up through various levels, and, you know, you have to up the speed, you have to get uh, ground-following missiles, and also um, uh, different kind of lasers and shields and things like that. And as the games went on, because I think, yeah, there were various uh, iterations of Gradius that came out in the arcade in Japan, um, there were a couple where you could pick the type of ship you, could, you flew, and of course that uh, changed the uh, power-ups that you could get. So, yeah, I mean, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, I've played it on the Super Nintendo, I played it on the, um, oh, the, um, I think actually they had Gradius for the NES, I think. Um, I've played it in emulation on arcades, in arcades, of course, things like that. But yeah, it's a fun shooter. It's just you have to be patient and you have to be good in order to live through the later levels and not lose all your power-ups. So yeah, Gradius 3. Missing in action. This is, I think, the sequel to Russian Attack, because the game is very similar. Um, or Green Beret, if you will. Um, you're a Green Beret soldier trying to rescue prisoners of war, and you're having to deal with various enemies. You're armed with a knife, and you have to go through various stages in order to achieve your objective. I never played this in the arcade. I thought I had. I thought it was something else, but no, I was wrong. Thank goodness I have stuff on, on emulation that I can f check because sometimes, yeah, like I've said before, my memory can get a little fuzzy and get my facts wrong, but you know, I'm only human. What do you want from me? Okay, Stun Runner. This is a game by Atari. This was a racing game slash shooter and it was very interesting. You basically had this, like, hovercraft-type uh, ship, and you would go through these tunnels, and you would, you know, race to the end, but you would also have to deal with enemies. And you had uh, laser cannons on the top of your ship, if I'm not mistaken, and you could angle them, and you could uh, shoot various enemies. Uh, you could get power-ups where you could your ship could actually go faster, and things like that. Um, I like playing it, but yeah, this one was another quarter eater. And there were a lot of quarter eaters, you know, going into the middle to late 80s, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've played it in, let's see, I think Trumbull Mall had it. No, not Trumbull Mall, I'm sorry, I take that back. The News Corner had it for sure. I think Spanky's had it for a little while, and Milford Rack had it as well. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting game, interesting concept, but yeah, it like like with most Atari games in that area, or excuse me, that era, um, they were more designed to get as many tokens or quarters out of you rather than giving good gameplay and rewarding gameplay for being good at it. So there it is, Stun Runner. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, goodness. When Spanky's got this, I was so happy. <laughs> you know, I was a big uh, fan of the comic book, the Eastman and Laird comic book. Not so much the cartoon, because the cartoon, of course, was whitewashed down to almost being almost unrecognizable, close to. 
Um, I mean, of course, the four Ninja Brothers, who are also Turtles, with their Master Shredder and April O'Neil and Shredder and all that kind of stuff. It was the same thing, but the comic book was much different. It was so violent. <laughs> it was really violent, and I loved it. It was fantastic. It was really, really good. Um, one of these days, i got to see if I can find and purchase um, electronic copies of this, these comics because I loved reading them. Um, I'm trying to remember who had them. I think my buddy Rob had some. I think my buddy Edgar had some as well. And I used to borrow them from them and read them and I would just be like wow this is really cool um of course you're going up against Shredder in the game and you know like with most Konami 4 players like this and the Simpsons and a couple other games these you had to actually be strategic in how you attacked your uh, opposition and you couldn't just go and button mash because you would just get beat down eventually. You had to use special attacks. You had to, you know, be good with your positioning, like with most beat em ups in this era. You know, that was really uh, important. But yeah, I mean, I loved playing this game, even though, once again, it was a quarter eater. <laughs> it really was. Okay, um, UN Squadron slash Area 88. Okay, this game is a direct translation from the manga, and I think there was an anime series as well. Um, it's a little bit different in the American translation, which is called UN Squadron. Um, the Japanese version is called Area 88 after the manga and the, uh, and the um, anime, but it was still a very, very good game. I played it in the arcade maybe once or twice. I can't even remember where I played it. Um, I didn't really know about this game until it came out for the Super Nintendo in, what, 91 or 92? I'm not 100% sure what year it came out, but it was a great game, and the arcade game was actually better. Um, of course, with the Super Nintendo, it's not quite arcade standard. <laughs> although it's pretty close and there were certain elements taken out of the uh, SNES version rather than the arcade version but I've played the arcade version in emulation for years and of course I've enjoyed it immensely it's a great shooter um, you have a choice between three pilots and each one of them fly a different aircraft and each aircraft has different attacks and uh, they have a little bit of different role in the game like um i can't remember i think the one of the characters name is greg and he flies an a10 warhog which is really good against ground targets um the main character shin he flies an f5 i think which is really good um air to air and then i can't remember the other character's name but he flies an f14 and that one I think is sort of like a balance between the two. So, yeah, I loved this game. It was fantastic. You know, I, like I said, I still play it in emulation to this day, and hopefully when I actually get the money and the time to go to Galloping Ghost Arcade, I'm going to play it there because I know they have it. <laughs> what don't... At this point, it's like, what don't they have? Um, I'm hoping to find that one game that I've been looking for ever since I played it at the News Corner, and I think, what are they up to now? What, 700, over 750 arcade machines and counting. They'll be uh, revealing another one um, this coming Monday on uh, Twitch. So if you're curious, um, I can't remember the uh, screen name for the Galloping Ghost Arcade. I think it's M Ghost, it might be or G-Ghost, or something like that. But I think if you run a search in Twitch, it'll come up with Galloping Ghost Arcade. They show stuff every uh, Monday. A new machine is put on the floor. You know, Doc Mac, who is a genius, and an arcade luminary, and also a visionary, in my view. Um, he reveals these games, and then uh, they also stream various games on Twitch. Um, like right now, I was looking at Twitch before I decided to start recording, and 
they were actually streaming someone going for the Galaga world record. Um, the guy who was playing, I think, held the world record with like 20 million points or something like that. Um, and I think at the time when I was watching him, he had like 7,300,000 or something like that. And I was just like, I was impressed because, yeah, at some point, once you, once you know a game so well, it becomes a, a matter of stamina that you can actually play it for that long and achieve that kind of score. But anyway, I'm getting off on a, a side note. So anyway, on to the next one. Um, WWF Superstars. <laughs> this game is one of the best wrestling games of all time, bar none. Um, I would probably even go so far as to say it's like, what, top 10, maybe even top 5. I mean, I haven't thought about it. Maybe I'll put it in another segment of top 10s. You know, just going with various genres once I go through the remaining years of uh, arcade games and then I'm going to go into uh, various um, home systems, games for the home systems, and then I'm going to go into probably arcade game genres. So, um, this game is made by Technos Japan and it's one of the best wrestling games. I mean, it was a perfect uh, description of how wrestling was at the time, especially in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, you had, let's see, Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, The Big Boss Man, uh, The Honky Tonk Man, and I'm missing one. Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, that's it. And you had to uh, beat uh, tag teams of the uh, comprising of the other four wrestlers that you didn't pick, and then you went up against uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Andre the Giant for the tag team titles, and then you had to defend those titles in three more matches, I think, before you had to face Andre and DiBiase again, and then I think the game was over and you beat it. Uh, WrestleFest, which I will talk about when we get to 1991, um, pretty much goes in the same um, formula. But the thing that made it so the game so great is that it had all of almost all of the uh, signature moves of the wrestlers. Like with Macho Man Randy Savage, you had the jumping neckbreaker clothesline. You had the elbow drop from the top rope you know, things like that. You had his, you know, the suplex that he used to do and things of that nature. Um, Hulk Hogan, of course, had the big foot, the leg drop, the clothesline. The war Ultimate Warrior had the gorilla press slam, uh, the running clothesline, you know, the atomic drop and things like that. And it was a lot of fun to play, even though, depending on the... Uh, difficulty settings the machine was on it could be either a really fun experience or really frustrating um as i learned as i played the game in emulation basically you just had to use your attacks in certain sequences to keep your opponent dizzy long enough to uh wear him down so you can pin him you know and it was a lot of fun i mean i loved it when spanky's got this game i couldn't have not have been happier it was just one of those games where, you know, I knew I was in for a really good time once I put the quarter in and I pressed start and I selected my tag team. So, yeah, WWF Superstars. Um, honorable mentions, Clax. I only mention this because this was my roommate's, one of my roommate's favorite puzzle games. Um, I really didn't like it too much. Um, it was made by Atari. Um, it basically took Tetris and, you know, turned it on its side, so to speak. And, you know, it was an interesting game to watch, but I never really was interested. But out of deference and respect to my roommate, I put this on the list. <laughs> you know, what can I say? Okay, uh, Shadow Dancer. This is the sequel to Shinobi. Um, this one is a lot more involved than Shinobi was. Um, now you have um, not only the ninja, but he also has a trained uh, attack wolf or attack dog. I'm not sure if it's either a dog or a wolf, but it's a big mofo. And basically you could send your dog up against enemies to occupy him long enough to where 
you could run up to them and dispatch them you know which i thought was a really interesting uh aspect to the game it made the game it it just gave another level of you know uh strategy to the game and i liked it a lot okay shadow dancer strider this game i never really got into uh the news corner had it for a long time um and i played it a couple times i saw it i think at carl graff's record store and maybe one or two other places i think milford rec had it but it just didn't really grab me um you are a ninja and you are it's a multi it's a platforming game a platforming beat-em-up really and you are going you know through levels to get to the uh ninja at the end to defeat him i think to rescue your beloved i think that's how the story goes i'm not 100 percent sure um i do know that strider got a uh, a boost or should i say a refresh in uh, marvel versus capcom 2 um which was a fighter that came out in what that was what 1997 i think either 96 or 97 but you know he was in that and that's where you know i was like oh hey i rec- i know that guy um i think he was more popular in the home sector i think he had a game off uh, for the nes and i think he was more popular there but i could be wrong so yeah strider and lastly willow <laughs> this game was really interesting to play and more interesting to watch um trumbull mall got this I want to say like a few months before it closed and uh, Mark was really into it you know he was into this game and you know I can't remember it for the life of me I mean I could go into my emulator and play it but you know it's late and I'm also cooking while I'm recording this podcast so you know bear with me so yeah Willow I never really was that into I mean, I saw it. It was okay, I guess. But, yeah, it just wasn't one of those games I was into, which is kind of weird because usually if there was a game that had fantasy or Dungeons & Dragons elements to it, I was all about it, but not this one for some reason. Oh, well, such is life. Anyway, those are my top tens. Um, If you got any thoughts, questions, uh, you have any sort of... Uh, top tens of your own, things like that, you know what to do. Get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, from there, we will go to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arsed in the heather, chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced, Mr. Do? <laughs> oh, man, this game. Oh, man. Uh, I love this game. It's my favorite uh, game of this type of genre. I mean, I love this game more than Dig Dug. I mean, Dig Dug's a fine game. It's There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that I clicked more with Mr. Do. There's just something to this game and the way it played that just made me want to keep coming back and playing it. Dig Dug did not do that for me. So, without any further ado, let's go to the Wikipedia page. Mr. Do is a maze video game created by Universal and released in arcades in 1982. The first game in the Mr. Do series, it was one of the first arcade games to be released as a conversion kit by Taito, and went on to sell 30,000 units in the United States. The object of Mr. Do is to score as many points as possible by digging tunnels through the ground and collecting cherries. The title character, Mr. Do, a circus clown except for the original Japanese version of the game in which he is a snowman, that's kind of weird. I think I have that version in emulation, too. Uh, is constantly chased by red monsters called Creeps, and the player loses a life if Mr. Do is caught by one. The game is over when the last life is lost. Cherries are distributed throughout the level in groups of eight. 
500 bonus points are awarded if Mr. Duke collects eight cherries in the row without stopping. A level is completed either when all cherries are removed or all creeps are destroyed. Extra is spelled or a diamond is found. Mr. Duke can defeat creeps by hitting them with his bouncing powerball or by dropping large apples on them. Uh, while the powerball is bouncing toward a creep, Mr. Duke is defenseless. If a ball bounces into an area where there are no creeps to hit, such as behind a fallen ass apple, Mr. Duke cannot use it again until he has retrieved it. When the powerball hits a creep, it then reforms in Mr. Duke's hands after a delay that increases with each use. Uh, Mr. Dew or the Creeps can push an apple off the edge of a vertical tunnel and crush one or more Creeps. If an apple falls more than its own height, it breaks and disappears. Mr. Dew can also be crushed by a falling apple, causing loss of a life. Occasionally, Creeps transform briefly into more powerful multicolored monsters that can tunnel through the ground. If one of these digs through a cherry, it leaves fewer cherries and fewer points for Mr. Dew to collect. When it digs under an apple, it often crushes itself, other Creeps, and or Mr. Dew. Uh, each time the score passes a certain threshold during play, that threshold being 5,000 points, a letter from the word extra appears on the playfield as an alpha monster, and the, the player can defeat or be defeated by this monster in the same way as a creep. Defeating an alpha monster awards that letter to the player, and collecting all five letter letters of the word completes the level and goes to a cutscene playing the theme to Astro Boy. I didn't know that. Wow. Uh, and awards the player an extra life. Alpha monsters attempt to eat any apples they encounter, which makes them difficult but not impossible to crush. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, the creeps spawn at the center of the screen. After they have all appeared, a generator will turn into a food item. Picking this up scores bonus points, freezes all the creeps, and calls out an alpha monster and three large blue monsters. The latter can eat apples as well. The creeps stay frozen but are still deadly until the player either defeats all three blue monsters, defeats the alpha monster, in which case any remaining blue monsters are turned into apples, loses a life, or completes the stage. Rarely, dropping an apple will reveal a diamond if, it, if collected within about 15 seconds, completes the level and awards a bonus credit to the player as well as 8,000 points, allowing him to play a free game. This feature is relatively uncommon among arcade video games, although is a standard feature of many pinball machines. That's true. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mr. Dew was ported to the Atari 2600, uh, Atari 8-bit computers, ColecoVision. The ColecoVision version of Mr. Dew is excellent, by the way. Uh, Apple II, MSX, Tomy Tutor, and the Commodore 64. A handheld LCD version was released by Tomy in 1983. In the ColecoVision adaptation, the alpha monster and sidekicks are unable to eat apples, making them easier to crush, but the blue monsters eat the shrubbery and the cherries. Also, if an alpha monster is over a letter that has already been acquired, the dinosaur monsters just freeze for a few seconds. Hmm, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Oh, uh, let's see. Mr. Dew was followed by three sequels. Mr. Dew's Castle in 1983, Mr. Dew's Wild Ride, and Dew Run Run, both in 1984. And an expanded 99-level version of Mr. Dew was developed for the arcades by ElectroCoin in 1989. A completely new version of the game, Neo Mr. Do, was developed by Visco and licensed by Universal for SNK's Neo Geo system in 1997. Uh, Mr. Do was adapted to Nintendo's Game Boy and Super Famicom SN uh, SNES, providing some new gameplay features. A rebranded adaptation of the game was released for the Game Boy Color in 1999 entitled Quest Fantasy Challenge, or called Holy Magic Century in Europe. It was developed by Imagineer and published by Sunsoft in North America and by Virgin Interactive in Europe. It is branded as a Quest series of game instead of Mr. Do, which that's interesting. Uh, the arcade diversion debuted on the Wii Virtual Console in Japan on April 27, 2010. So, yeah, I mean, this game... Oh, let's see, the actual release date in the arcade was May 1st, 1982. That's interesting. I'm trying to remember exactly when we got it. I think it might have been like June or maybe even July of 1982 when we got it in uh, Trouble Mall Arcade. Um, when it came to this arcade, it got a lot of interest from players. Almost immediate, immediately after it came to the arcade, there was a debate between it and Dig Dug as to which game was better because the games were so similar. Uh, as I have seen through the years, and especially on the internet, the debate still rages on in some quarters. 
Um, I, of course, felt then as well as now that Mr. Do was a much better game than Dick Dug, but I wouldn't argue with anyone over it. <laughs> What's the point, right? Um, I'd just play it more than Dig Dug by a ratio of at least 10 to 1, if not 20 to 1. And that's just how I feel. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this game. And, you know, anybody who wants to try and talk crap about that game, yeah, I'll either ignore them or I'll take the bait and I'll argue it for a little while. But, yeah, that's just how much I love Mr. Do. So, with the information done, let's pivot right to time for some strategy. Time for some strategy. For Mr. Do, of course. Um, when I started writing out the uh, notes to, uh, you know, to kind of sort of get my thoughts out about this game, I realized something. I play this game much more by instinct than anything else. Um, I don't really have too much of a plan. There are some things that I always try to do at the start of a level, but, you know, it's more just kind of feeling it out and trying to, you know, just keeping away from the creeps and so forth. But uh, let's see. Um, I always try to go for the alpha monsters as much as possible to spell extra for extra lives. Uh, I usually do this by setting up creeps with apples and try to catch at least three or four of them for big points. Uh, late in stages, they increase in speed and get much more aggressive. Uh, going from their normal form to the multicolored form that digs through the ground in order to get to you. So sometimes it's just best for your overall game just to finish the stage and go on to the next one. Um, in order to try to set up the creeps to get crushed by apples, I tend to go for the nearest group of cherries and eat eight of them for points at the start of the level. Uh, from there, I make for the apple with the longest drop under it to catch as many creeps in its fall, then use the power ball to dispatch any creeps that are getting too close. After the last run is generated, I usually try to go for the snack in the middle for the extra points, and try to time it so that the alpha monster generated is a letter I need, and then just go right to it. Pro tip. Um, this is one thing that I didn't really understand or know about until Mark showed me when he was playing Mr. Do one day. Um, the best thing to do when you're dealing with alpha monsters and the blue uh, chompers or whatever you want to call them, uh, they basically look like you know versions of the cookie monster to me. Um, but one of the things you can do is that once you get the get the snack and all of the the uh, dinosaurs are frozen. Uh, you want to make a beeline straight up to where the extra is spelled and where the alpha monster is going to come out. And what you want to do is, and this takes a lot of practice, so if you get mess it up, don't get discouraged. It, it will come to you, but it just takes timing and feel to do it. But basically what you want to do is that um, you want to move your clown up to where that little piece of ground is between you and the alpha monster, but you don't want to actually dig through it. You want to actually go just far enough to where his hand is like poking out from the ground a little bit, and um, the monsters, the blue monsters, of course, will try to t make a beeline straight for you, uh, the fastest route to get to you and of course as you progress in levels through the game the blue monsters move faster the alpha monster is not out for as long so you have to kind of get your you know get your business taken care of it quickly um but yeah you want to just move it so the tip of his hand pokes through the dirt but it doesn't clear it away and it takes practice but it's a great way to get rid of uh, not only alpha monsters, but also creeps and where they can't dig to you um, without exposing yourself to undue risk. Um, what I try to do in each stage, I try to go for two alpha monsters per level. Uh, one by the 5,000 point multiple. You know, I check my score at the beginning of the level to see how much I need, and then I 
go and I act accordingly. Um, the other way, of course, is the snack when all of the creeps come out of their center uh, generation area and they start coming after you. And as you're going along in as you're going along in the level, like I said, the creeps start moving faster and they start getting more aggressive and they start changing form to get to you as fast as possible. So sometimes uh, you might want to make a beeline for the snack at first opportunity, or sometimes you might just want to kill the creep and get off the level, depending on how far in the uh, how far you've been, you know, how long you've been on that level. Uh, let's see. Every three screens, the game will tell you how many points you've scored on the three previous screens. So as a rule of thumb, I try for about 10,000 points per screen. The first, I want to say three or four screens, you won't be able to do it. But as you go from level five further, as the snack rises in value, I think it rises like, what, 500 points per level. I think it starts off at like... Is it a thousand? I think as it starts off at a thousand, it goes by up by five hundred every level after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you try to go for ten thousand points per screen, and you know you just try to get through your levels as quickly as possible. Um, there are some times where you just are going to get trapped. It's just a fact of life with this game. Um, either you've used your Powerball on a creep and you're waiting the seemingly small eternity for it to regenerate while the others are chasing you. And as I said, as you, the longer you stay on a level, the faster they get. So it's just always good to kind of keep yourself alive and to keep, you know, creeps out of your way and stay out of their way. And if they start coming after you, you drill them with, with the Powerball and you just keep going from there. And, of course, as you progress in levels, they get more difficult. Um, one of the cute things about this game is that, with the exception of level one, which is shaped like a candle for some reason, each level, the pathway in the, the pathway on the level is shaped like the number of the level. So you know what level you're on if you're not going to look at the bottom left of the screen and it tells you exactly what level you're on. Uh, let's see. My highest score on this game was, like, up over 400,000 points. Um, I think I was playing it in emulation when I did it. And it, this game is one of those that actually translates very well uh, to emulation and using game controllers instead of, you know, the arcade sticks, which I can't afford. A good one will run me close to 100 bucks. Um, yeah, I was in the zone that day. I just kept just knocking them out, knocking them out, knocking them out. I think I got to, like, level 24 or something like that. Some ridiculous number. I can't remember exactly. I think it was somewhere in the low to mid-20s. But, yeah, this was just a wonderful game. I love it, and I play it uh, as often as I can when I have the, you know, the inkling to do so. The arcade in Brighton used to have a Mr. Do machine, but uh, I think they rotated it off the floor. Um, not too many people were playing it, apparently. <laughs> oh well, so much for that. Okay, so, if you have any tips, tricks, strategies for Mr. Do, um, you got them and they're burning a hole in your pocket, you know what to do. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com And from there, we are going to go to On the Road, so here we go. <laughs> Hey folks, what's going on? Brian here, on the road, uh, December 16th, 2018, 7.30 p.m. I'm heading to my old place of employment from the arcade in Brighton. Uh, first time I've been to the arcade in, I want to say, about two months. I think I went up in October last time. Um not too bad a day I mean 
you know, none of my scores were like, you know, really mind-blowing. You know, I think I topped my high score in Tron. I think I scored like 48,000 this time, as opposed to 44,000 at Pinball Pete's. I finally played that Star Wars uh, Battle Pod, and oh my god, is that awesome. I mean, it is almost completely immersive to where the maneuvers of the Starfighters, you know, and the speeder, snow speeders, are almost so realistic that you feel your stomach lurching even though you're not pulling any G's making the maneuvers. I mean, the graphics are awesome. The gameplay is intense. My only complaint about that particular one is that it is way loud. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to play that for about an hour, but I could only get, like, what, four games in before I had to tap out. Uh, it was just too loud. Volume was way too high. They need to drop it by about 25% or something. Um, aside from that, you know, the gameplay is fantastic. You feel like you're in the X-Wing fighter in the Battle of Yavin. You feel like you're in the Snowspeeder in the Battle of Hoth. And it's just wonderful to watch and be a part of. It's really immersive. It really, really is. Um, it takes what was done with the Star Wars arcade game that Sega put out in the middle to late 90s, I think it is. I think it's like 96, I think they came out that, 96, 97. But it takes that and just ups the ante by a considerable amount. It was so much fun to play. I mean, if they could just get... I mean, it's either they lower the volume on it or you bring a set of earplugs I mean it's that loud and you know I'm a fan of heavy metal music and have been since I was like 15 years old so I'm not unfamiliar with loud with loud sounds <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not being a wuss here it's really loud but that was fun they got their dragon's lair up and working and even with five lives, I've forgotten like 99% of the patterns and it's one of those where I'd have to study it in order to be able to get through most of it. If only just to finish that chapter of my gaming life, so to speak. I mean, I'll probably talk about this when I get to Dragon's Lair in Are You Experienced? But, I mean, a uh, quick story. Um, my aunt from Virginia came to stay with us for, I want to say she was here about two weeks. Maybe a month. I can't remember exactly. It was, what, 1982? Maybe even... No, actually, it's 1983 at this point because Dragon's Lair had been out for quite some time. Um, so, uh, she was taking the Greyhound bus to go back home to Virginia, and so everybody from my immediate family, well, almost everybody, went down there to see her off. And me, of course, you know, it's 1983, I'm 14 years old, going on 15, and it's like, I hung around for a little while because they stayed... They, excuse me, we arrived about maybe, what, 45 minutes before her bus was supposed to get there. So, um, so we just hung out with her for a little while. And I had a few dollars left over for my allowance, if I'm not mistaken. So I hung out with them for about 20 minutes. And then I went uh, up the block up John Street to uh, the News Quarter. And News Quarter had a Dragon's Lair in there at the time. Um, I, at this point, I was so obsessed with beating Dragon's Lair because all my contemporaries had beaten it. Uh, Mark, Eric, 
most of the regulars that are still going to the arcade in the Trummel Mall, they'd all beaten it. I mean, Spanky's had a Dragon's Lair. Um, and that's where everybody was there to play it. So, yeah, everybody who was anybody in our video gaming arcade circle had beaten it already. I mean, I'd seen, I'd stood by and watched Mark beat it several times, but trying to maximize his score by uh, getting through the entire game without losing a life. So, anyway, so they had Dragon's Lair, and I had, um, oh, that's right, um, a little sidebar. My aunt had bought me a subscription to EGM. You know, back when it was mostly reviewing uh, home consoles, 2600 games and television, ColecoVision, and also tips and tricks on arcade games. And they had an, an issue where you, they had all of the moves for Dragon's Lair, and I kept that on me at all times. I think I have that, and also a uh, high score, uh, arcade high score logbook. And I had, you know, my high scores written down, and I carried that with me at all times. When I tell you guys I was an addict, I'm not playing. <laughs> but anyway, so I had those directions with me, and I had a couple dollars, so I went over to the news corner, and I started playing Dragon's Lair, and I was through about 80% of the game, and I hadn't lost a life. And... I remember just as I'm about to get to like the last like five screens to before you get to the dragon's lair, I went, I mean, I didn't went, I was playing and I was, I was happy because I was rocking this game. I was rocking it. I was so happy because I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a really good score and I'm going to, you know, be able to get, you know, extra points for each life that you hadn't lost. And, uh, most dragon's lairs that I have, played with the exceptional one at the arcade have three lives the arcade in brighton has five but um so i'm rocking it and i'm rocking it and then my uncles and aunts you know they know where i'm at because i let them know where i was going and they come in here they come in and they're like brian come on it's time to go home i'm like oh man no i'm beating this game i'm beating this game and of course you know adults they kind of don't understand and even if they understood, most of my uncles and a couple of my aunts were do as I say, not as I do type people. And so I had to abandon the game. And that is stuck in my craw for, what, 35 years or thereabouts? But yeah, it was 35 years when that happened. And I might, I might just study the patterns for Dragon's Lair just to have a little bit of closure. But anyway, I mean, aside from that, let's see, what else did I play? I played Frenzy, you know, got about 9,000, which is, you know, pedestrian average. You know, I played Star Wars, uh, the Atari Star Wars a couple of times, and I was only able to get like a million one that's one of those games where you have to be playing it constantly to be able to do really well. And of course I haven't been in the arcade in at least two months. So yeah, I was rusty. So I was only able to get like a million one, go to like level eight. And that was about it. Oh, uh, let's see. What else did I play? Um, you know, played the Ms. Pac-Man with the funky scoring. Only got like, what was it? Like four, 455,000, which, you know, apparently that's about average. Nothing to it. Um, you know, played Asteroids, got 12,000. I mean, this is what happens when I don't go up there on the regular. I'm, I just kind of lose it. You know, lose my mojo, if you will. And also the fact of the matter is I just turned 50 um, uh, a week and a half ago. So then there's that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm officially, by some people's standards, old, even though I don't feel it. 
um, you know, Plates Master Blaster. Oh, that's right. I think I got my highest score, my career high. I'm career high. My God, what am I saying? You know, my all-time high score on Gorf. I made it all the way to Space Avenger. I almost made it through Space Avenger. Whoops. Why are you walking out in the middle of the street? In dark clothing, no less. I almost hit somebody. But, yeah, so... Um... So, yeah, I mean, just had some fun. You know, played some games. Played some Bosconian. You know... Play, oh, that's right. I got like 600-something thousand on Robotron, which is actually really good. And, you know, just had some fun. You know, blew off a little steam. And now I get to prepare for my new job that I start on Monday. Now I'm going to be actually going to orientation on Monday afternoon. And we'll see what happens from there. All right, I'm pulling into my former place of employment, going to drop off my time card, my uniforms, and then I'm going to go home. So I'll just wrap up here. So this is Brian signing off, saying have fun out there, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.